One of TCPC's longest ministry events occurred this past week. It's not an official ministry of the church, so you did not get an announcement about it. Uh, But it was the annual viewing of Christmas vacation at Nate Jones' house. There are men in this church who build their social calendars around this event. Uh, Clark Schumann has every line memorized, and he talks through the entire movie, and it's all part of the tradition that we love. Uh, Seriously, it's a big deal at our church. Uh, If you have seen this masterpiece movie, uh, you know that there are some memorable lines that get repeated year after year, decade after decade. One of those lines comes from the one and only Cousin Eddie. And if you have not seen this, and I don't necessarily recommend it, but I kind of suspect most of you probably have seen it. You remember Eddie's words of encouragement to Clark when Clark received the gift of the Jelly of the Month Club. Clark said to uh, him, Eddie said to Clark, Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. And we all laugh about that. We all enjoy that. But there is an element, I think, that we are looking for a gift, an actual gift that will last the entire year. Now, not intending to compare the coming of Jesus with Cousin Eddie in any way, but there is something I think that's true for all of us. And that is we are longing for this gift that we hope will last and will satisfy our souls. This is the last Sunday of Advent. Next week is Christmas and then we will preach indeed that Jesus has come. But these previous weeks have been emphasizing the reality that we wait. We wait for Jesus' second coming and with that we, we celebrate and we emphasize these themes of Advent. We have seen thus far God's love. We recognize that God's love for us is real, that he is passionate for us, that he is crazy for us in Christ. Uh, We have seen the reality of joy, that no matter what circumstance you're in, you can be joyful even today because Jesus is singing over you. And then last week, Will preached for us in this invasion of peace that is ours. When that little baby came, he brought with him peace and love, joy, and peace. And today... We turn our hearts and our minds to this reality of hope and hope that is God's gift to us and it applies in all situations. When I was in seminary, I took a counseling course and I'll never forget how our professor described the subject of hope. He said this, he said that hope is the one thing a Christian can never have taken away from him or her. No matter what you're facing, No matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what problem you have, if God is alive and God is on his throne, you can have hope. It cannot be taken away from you. It can't be replaced. It can't be minimized. It can't be destroyed. As long as there's a God, you can have hope. And hope is the belief that God can do all that he wants to do. So thus, when you are hoping in something, you're putting your faith in the power of God. We're going to see this morning that hope is a wonderful thing. Hope is a powerful thing. Hope applies at all times and in all ways, and it is our great advantage as followers of Jesus. So as we get started this morning, let me simply ask you this. What are you hoping for today? What are you hoping for this Christmas season? What are you hoping for in the new year? What are you hoping that God will do that only God can do? I pray that our passage this morning will help us reimagine, if you will, the hope that we have in Christ as we look at Psalm 130. I want us to see two things this morning. 
the reality of our hope. Notice this, the purpose of hope and then the destiny of hope. The purpose, verses 1 through 4, and then the destiny, verses 5 through 8. And we're going to see that when our sins are forgiven, then our destiny in Christ is better than anything that we could ever imagine. So first, let's consider again the purpose of hope. Look back at verse 1. We see in our passage that the writer of Psalm 130 was led to pray and to pray passionately. He was not praying like we may do before we fall asleep at night. Rather, he was desperate in prayer. And verse 1 says that he cried out to the Lord. There was something going on in his life, something going on in his heart where he had to express his desperation before the Lord. As we consider hope this morning, we have to wrestle with what was the context of this prayer? What was going on in his life that would force him to be so troubled? What does hope have to do with it? Typically in the Psalms or really anywhere in the scripture, whenever you see someone go to the Lord in prayer in such a desperate way, you know that there is some type of enemy pursuing them. There's a crisis or a problem looming that is threatening the very survival of the person. So therefore, they've turned to the Lord. Usually, it's an invading army or some type of desperation. But notice here in these verses, to begin with in Psalm 130, there's no enemy. There's no problem. There's none of that. But there's something even greater than a looming destruction. And that is the psalmist is passionately concerned about his own relationship with God because of his sin. Here's the issue. We see in verses 3 and 4, what was on the poet's heart and mind was the reality of his sin. Of his own personal sin. He's scared about it. That is, what was to become of him because of the reality that he was a sinner? What was he to do facing punishment of a holy God whom he had sinned against? And this had driven him to the point of desperation. So as we continue this Advent season, I think we need to stop here just for a moment and remember something that is very critical that we can easily forget, even at a church like ours. And that is this, the coming of baby Jesus, the coming of the Messiah to the world was chiefly about the sin that exists on earth. Let me repeat, it's our sin. It is the sin of others. It is the sin of the world. It is the sin of the systems that exist on earth. But the personal sin, which we don't want others to know, it is that sin which requires the birth of the Messiah whom we celebrate. Sin is the willful disobedience of God's holy ways. And when that act, that act of sin first came into the world, there was no turning back of all the destruction that it would bring. And that is exactly what has happened in our world. Every single person, every single family, every single institution in existence has been impacted by this reality, has been impacted by our desire to disobey God's good plan. The name of Jesus means Savior. That is who he is. That's what he does. It's why he came. He came to save us of the penalty of our sin by becoming sin and receiving God's wrath instead of us. So back to the passage. 
What is it that drives the writer of Psalm 130 to this point of desperation? What's driving him so crazy? What has affected his heart so much? He's concerned about what will happen to him. Notice in verse 3, he says, uh, What will happen if God keeps a record of sins? Because if God is keeping a record of every envious thought, every word that should not have been said, every selfish act, every idolatrous love, what would happen to him because he knows he's guilty? You know, I love to listen to Christmas music. I I am one of the people that has 94.5 on my radio throughout this season from Thanksgiving on. Actually, I haven't started before Thanksgiving. But one of the songs that always gets me, and I noticed it this week as I was preparing the sermon, is just the reality that when we sing about Santa Claus, he knows if we're naughty or if we're nice. And it really, as Christians, presents a problem for us that he's watching when we're awake and when we're asleep. Let's be honest. If Santa Claus is keeping up with every single thing that we do, I got no shot with Santa Claus. If he's holding a perfect record, and that's my only hope, I'm in trouble. Now, look back at verse 4 and be encouraged that Santa Claus is not the judge here, but rather there is a God who forgives. This part of Scripture got to me this week. When I chose this song to illustrate and highlight our hope for Advent, It was really the second half of the psalm that I so wanted. But the second half of the psalm, verses 5 through 8, really don't make sense until we deal with the first. So here's the question. I need to ask you, and you need to be honest, not with me, but to the Lord. The question is this. Does your personal sin bother you? Seriously, are you affected by the reality that your bitter thoughts, your divisive words, they offend a holy God? Your sin, your personal sin, not just the sin of the world, not just the institutions, not just the systems, but your sin. Are you troubled by it? Are you concerned? Seriously, I get upset about all sorts of things. From my sports teams losing, to things in the house breaking that I don't know how to fix. From traffic, less can go on and on. But does my sin bother me? My temper, my anger, my loose tongue, my gossip, am I convicted over those things? Does your sin bother you? Are you convicted by them? John Calvin says in his commentary on Psalm 130, He says that there are two mistaken actions that often happen with our sin. First, he says, we tend to flatter ourselves and think that they don't really exist. But then secondly, he says that we pay very little attention to them because we actually don't think there are any consequences. In either case, Calvin says, we deserve the miseries that come our way because there's no sense of remorse that we have offended a holy God. I don't know what you want this year for Christmas. I have my list. I'm sure you do too. But maybe the best Christmas gift any of us could receive is a fresh sense of conviction over our willful personal sins in our life, which we have tolerated for far too long. This may not sound like a very fun Christmas gift, 
But it's proof that the Lord is active in our life. It's proof that we are his children. It's proof that we're becoming more like Christ. The psalmist knows if God keeps a record of sin, who can stand? Not him, not me, not us, no one. So what is the answer to the poet's extreme despair? Again, look at verse 4 and remember our Jesus who came for us to be our Savior. Here's what the psalmist says and preaches to his own heart. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I hope this morning, I pray this morning that those words bring comfort to your soul. Of all the hopes that you may have, know this, that if you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven. The reason Christ came applies to you. This is our ultimate hope that in Christ, God does not mark your iniquities. Because of Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection of this baby, when our faith is in him, God doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. And thus we celebrate. So one, we've seen the purpose of our hope, but now consider the destiny of our hope. And this is meant to be exciting. Look back at verses 5 through 8. What is it that when the final gift is given, we'll never want another gift? What is it our souls are so pining for that when we finally get it, all wants are gone? These verses... The second half of the psalm reveal what God provides to those whose sins are forgiven. And it is incredible if you can accept it. The gift that is ours in Christ is what what brings God his ultimate joy. And it's a term found in verses 7 and 8. And that is that we in Christ have been redeemed. That's it. That's the message. That's the term. That's the doctrine. That's the truth. That's the fact. And this cannot be more precious to us as believers. Here's what redeem means. It means that you have been released. It means that you have been severed from. In the biblical context, to be redeemed is the act that God does with his people to bring us back. To purchase us. To take us out of slavery and bring us back to himself. This is the goal of our faith. It is a belief in Jesus' death has purchased everything for us our souls could ever imagine. We are now free from sin's punishment, from its consequences eternally, from its shame, from its terror. As if that were not enough, though, look back at verse 7 and notice the description the Holy Spirit gave to the poet to give to us. And let this fuel your hope and imagination this Christmas. It's not just that you are redeemed. It's not just a fact. But the writer says that due to the Lord's steadfast love, there is plentiful redemption. That is redemption in its full. Redemption in the sense that it cannot be any more redeemed. It truly is the gift that keeps on giving for eternity. What does it mean to have a lot of redemption, to have plentiful redemption? I love this picture, and we have to examine all of Scripture to see it. But as we look at this advent of Christ and hope, we must turn to his second advent to get a picture. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there with me, look at Revelation chapter 7. 
So I'm going to read verses 15 through 17 and get a little bit of a picture of what our life will be like when Christ comes back, when he finishes the work he began. And notice this descriptive language of what is true of us. Revelation 7, verse 15. Therefore they, it is us, followers of Christ, are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter with them in his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Do you know your destiny this morning? Do you know where we are going? Do you know where Christ is taking us? When he returns, this is us. We will live forever In his presence, under his perfect direction. Where our work, where our life, where our community, where our relationships will all be done in total delight. Total perfection, total enjoyment. Do you know what will not be in the new heavens and the new earth? There will be no hunger, there will be no thirst, there will be no tears. Because they have no place in Jesus' kingdom. The curse of mankind, which began in Genesis 3, will be gone, and we will not miss it at all. This is our destiny. Y'all may be familiar with with an old song. John Lennon, one of the Beatles in 1971, after the Beatles had broken up, wrote a song called Imagine. You've probably heard it. It still gets played a lot. And Lennon sang it beautifully. Uh, You might be tempted to think it's a really good song. In it, Lennon encouraged us to imagine a world without heaven because in his mind that would bring some sort of hope for us in all of our daily problems. Again, it's a beautiful song, but may I suggest Lennon actually needed to imagine a little bit more than what he did. I support his goal of using his imagination, but he needed to imagine more. What is it our souls are actually hoping for? Imagine this life, not a life apart from God, but a life with God where all sin and destruction and harm are gone. A life where we have total delight, a life without any pain, a life without any threat of death or sickness or injury or illness. That's our destiny, a life free from all aspects of sin. Can you imagine that? That's what Jesus is bringing. I heard a sermon a number of of years ago, and it was related to this and our anticipation of the second coming of Christ and what life will be like and how we will live and work and have our being here just without any form of sin. And the pastor said that even the taste buds on our tongue, when we enjoy the good fruit of life today, those are painting a picture for us of what eternity will be of delight. So as we celebrate Christmas this week, we do so knowing that we long for a day when our hope will be realized, that there will be a gift that we will keep for all of eternity. Is that your hope this Christmas season? 
is the hope that we will never die, that we will live forever, that we will be with Christ. Is that what you long for? Again, imagine a life without worries or sickness or disease. No RSV, no COVID, no racism, no oppression. Let your mind run wild and know that when Jesus returns, that is our destiny. No sickness, no depression, no growing old, no tragedies. In Christ, that really is our future. Our destiny in Christ is beyond what we can even imagine because it's so good. Again, is that your hope this Christmas season? Is the coming of Christ, the second coming, is he your hope? Let's conclude now as we prepare our hearts to come to this table But if you look in the heart of Psalm 130, you notice that waiting is such a part of this. More than the watchman in the morning, more than the watchman in the morning, waiting is part of our story. Let me close with this. Charles Spurgeon tells a story in one of his devotions. It's a picture of how we wait for Christ today. He tells a story that on August the 1st, 1830, The slaves in the British West Indies stayed up all night long. They knew the following morning, on August the 2nd, they would be free. So instead of going to bed, they went to their places of worship and spent the night singing praises to God all night long. But before dawn, some of them just could not wait any longer. So they went to the highest point of the mountains in their city so they could be the first ones to see the sun come up, knowing that now is the day that we are free. They want to see the sunlight of the first day of their freedom. Church, I would say that's how we live, that we are so confident in who we are in Christ, so confident of who Jesus is and what he's doing, that we live in confidence that our King is coming. And as we wait for him, we hope for him to do all that is in his holy will. Is he your hope? Amen and amen. Let me pray and ask that the Lord will prepare us to come to his feasting table. Father, as we consider these words, as we consider these promises, Father, we ask in the power of the name of Jesus Christ that you would open our minds, open our imagination, open our hearts to who you are, to what you're doing. Father, I pray that we would, in fact, be a hopeful church and our hope would be found in you. And we pray this now in Christ's name. Amen.